exciting edition of School for Startups Radio. We are so busy this show, we don't have time to do the introduction, so I'm just jumping right in. We have two fantastic guests. First up from The Frequent Speaker, an amazing resource for speaker videos. Cam Bodwin is with us. And then after that, Deanna Spruill is with us. She is with Bear Icebox. We're going to talk about her recent article talking about entrepreneurship and Carl Sagan. What a cool idea. So we're going to go ahead and get started with our first guest. His name is Cam Bodwin. He is the founder of a company called The Frequent Speaker. They help speakers with lots of different things. We will talk about all of those, but they specialize in making incredible speaker videos so that the speakers can go out there and show the video to get gigs. Cam, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing really great, Tim. Thanks for having me. So did I explain it right, the business? Yeah, you sure did. All right. What percent of your business is the speaker videos? Is that a hundred percent, 75? What else do y'all do? Yeah. So it's about 80%. I mean, we also dabble in things like, uh, speaker media kits, uh, going into teaser reels, like all that multimedia content that a speaker would need to get gigs, like get on stages and then grow their reputation. All right. Uh, how important is the speaker video? Can you get gigs without it? Well, let me put it this way. Speaker bureaus are saying it's the most, if not the second most important thing that's next to your website. Uh, event planners want to see what you do when you're going to go speak on stage. They want to know how you're going to interact with the audience. They want to know how you're going to present yourself. They want to see how you are on stage without this. It's like, you know, no one's going to make decisions based on just text messages and emails these days. They want more. And what do they want in terms of, they want outgoing, lively, engaging, or do they want funny or do they want serious? And does it pend? What is the, the trend right now? They want you. I mean, that whole word of authenticity is what's important in business these days. Maybe it's an overused trend or overused words these days as, Anyone might think, you know, authentic this, authentic that. But really, they want to see who you are because a, uh, an event planner is going to make a decision because they know their audience. They know what they want to hear. They just want to match up that, that persona they have in their mind with the perfect speaker. So a two and a half, three and a half minute video that really highlights who you are. It's your movie trailer. This is what's going to get you booked for more speaking gigs. All right. Two and a half minutes. Wow. I, I'm egotistical. I want them to watch the whole 45 minutes. If they want to judge me, won't they watch a whole 45 minute video that I send them of me giving the speech last week at the Kiwanis Club? <laughs> no, never. You know, you, you can imagine for these bigger speaking events, right? Event planners are looking through stacks, maybe not stacks, tons of applicants who are coming in and trying to vie for attention. I should be on your stage. I should be on your stage. They don't have time to watch your TED Talk. And, you know, TED Talks are only 12 to 15 minutes. They don't even have time to watch that. They want short first impressions. Here's who I am. Here's what I can do. Here's how I serve your audience. Call me. Book me now. That's what they want to see. Even the old man. I mean, we're talking 10 years ago. Uh, bureaus were recommending eight, nine-minute speaker reels. And that's all gone way down thanks to short-form video content, you know, YouTube and uh, Instagram reels and stuff like that. Yeah, everyone's attention span has gone to pure seconds. Um, all right. So in a two and a half minute 
what would the content be? Do you tell them about your speech topics or is it others? What what does the content actually consist of? So it's a lot of you. So what we do is we'll watch all like a speaker's content. You want to know kind of who the speaker is, what's on there, but really you just want to highlight the breadth of your experience inside a speaker reel. So will you explicitly say I speak on neuroinclusion? Will you explicitly say that I speak on leadership principles? You might, right? If that's really part of your core principles, if you've got the five leadership tips to take your company from 10 to $100 million, then yeah, you probably want to put that in there. But there's other speakers who talk on just general principles or who talk about uh, mental health and wellness. There's a lot of push right now for mental health and wellness. There's usually not a five-step program for that. So instead, lean into your experiences, lean into the stories. What made you the expert on this? I like to craft that story for a speaker so they can just come out in that speaker reel to make, you know, make the, uh, the event planner curious to have someone on stage like that. If you have three or four different topics, should you have three or four different videos? Yes, you should. You should have that. But usually a speaker is going to narrow down in a very narrow set. So you don't want to overload anybody. The goal of the speaker reel is to get you booked on a call with that event planner. So you can then share what information that you want on that call. You don't want to overload anything. It's like, uh, imagine movie trailers. They're not giving up too much of the movie, are they? They're, they're kind of just teasing you. They want to just get you to go into the theaters and watch it live. Got a bag of popcorn. I don't know, Cam, all the movies I've seen recently, the trailer was better than the movie was. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm willing to give you two minutes, but I wasn't really excited for 97 minutes of that. You know, I should have stuck with the two, you know, so yeah, all the punchlines are gone. That's right. It does seem like, uh, yes, I can think of some movies in particular. Oh, what if you just don't have a video? Do you, should you give up? No, you, you know, even just starting to create content or creating a demo reel from your social content. So a lot of speakers now, you know, it's posting every day, posting twice a day on, on social media, or even just getting up in front of uh, your family and, and recording yourself, doing stuff like that. You never want to pretend on screen. You never want to pretend something that, someone that you're not. If you've never gone and spoken in front of 10,000 people, you probably shouldn't be trying to apply for those types of speaking gigs. And that's okay. We all get our, get our beats. You got to go through the process, but there's nothing saying you can't, oh, I don't know, go hire, uh, or go rent a stage. You can go speak on for a few minutes or maybe hire a videographer to go record you and do an interview. All that content is great content. And, you know, cutting it up into that smaller form, two and a half minutes to tease people to, to pick up the phone and call you to learn more about you. It's all part of the parcel these days. That's, that's what it all comes together. It's like saying, I shouldn't build a website until I have all the content ready for the website. Well, no, you put up a website no matter what. You say, coming soon. You got to have something up there so people can find you. All right. This is sort of a, a bigger question. I just went on your LinkedIn profile to ask you this question, and this is perfect because you and I do the exact opposite in our LinkedIn profile. Your about section says stuff like, uh, I'm just sort of scrolling through it. It's more emotional and descriptive of feelings. Whereas my about section in LinkedIn is almost like a resume. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. And I've been talking with a lot of LinkedIn experts about this, and there seems to be a real good debate going on now 
about what best practices is. I'm going to be honest, Cam. When I look at a speaker or a pitch, someone who wants to be on the, the radio show, and it says, this person is lively and engaging and exciting and fun, I go, but what the hell have they done? Tell me something that they've done. You know, because I'm an entrepreneur. I base things on numbers. He did a $12 yeah. million dollar business. That's, to me, a billion times sexier than saying he's fun and engaging. What are your thoughts on sure. my little diatribe here? You know, I think that LinkedIn can be the front page to who you are, right? We're all building a brand, no matter what we're doing these days. So that's part of my brand. I want people, when they get on the phone with me, they know who I am, uh, which is just as important as the accolades that I've had in the past, I think. And I've got a business page in there as well. So I think that your LinkedIn page really is, should be more salesy. It should be more, uh, less of a resume. And unless you want a job, really, that's, that's just my opinion on it. I've used LinkedIn a lot to, to grow my business. Yeah. You know, Cam, I, you're right. My, my LinkedIn is a hundred percent a resume, you know? Um, but again, that's what I think I would buy on, you know, I'm not going to buy on he's enthusiastic. I'm going to buy on he has 75 employees. You understand where I'm coming from? Yeah, I hear you. I think that your LinkedIn is your is the front page of your sales letter. That's what I think that is. And, you know, maybe we just have to write our, our LinkedIn page thinking of who our ideal client is, right? Not trying to attract everybody. But I think that's, that's the main goal of LinkedIn. Like, who, who do I really know that, I'm, that is going to be calling me? And I think for me, anyway, uh, people who, who I'm speaking to, speakers, they tend to be lively and energetic and up on stage and show me how many people I can speak to. Yes, and but, but my can't really interrupt. But the buyers, yeah. the speaker buyers, want to know the qualifications because they have to sell it to their boss. And so mm -hmm. if I want you to be my speaker, I now have to go tell the conference manager, here's who I have selected. I selected Cam. I don't think that this, the ultimate boss is going to be satisfied with adjectives. They're going to want to know. Who is this person and why are they going to impress the audience? Does that not make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and I think it all kind of goes together with that speaker reel anyways, right? You're going to have that reel up on your LinkedIn page, and that still serves your beginner speaker. All you've got is live and energetic, and I think that's good well, That's enough. different. That's yeah, that's a different case. I, I, if yeah, you've got yeah. nothing, go with that. That's for sure. Right, right. And, but we should be adding hard numbers as soon as we start to create more and more uh, clout around, around our brand. Absolutely, that should be going into uh, into LinkedIn, but it shouldn't look like a resume, not anymore. And what about your? You said that the web page is equally important or more important. What does the web page look like? What are best practices there? Well, some of the best practices I've seen. Uh, my my background is in is in web development. Actually, moved on to this industry much later, and having you know a clear idea of who you're speaking to, what the goal of the speaker page is. And really it's, it's your portfolio page, you know, having uh, a clear media kit on there of, of what talks that you give. Uh, don't put your rates, don't put your rates on your website. Leave that for when you want to have a conversation with somebody, uh, a clear, uh, uh, professional taking photos. That's really important as well. And you don't need to add much else than that. There's a difference between like your business page and your speaker page, by the way. You know, for me, it's cambold20.com. Go to my website and go find more information about me. You should have a speaker page, which is just uh, a portfolio page about your speaking business. And then if you have a business, a consulting firm or something like that, that you attach to that as well, that should be a separate page. So you 
give all your service offerings there. But really, your speaker pages is very fine-tuned on getting you speaker gigs, getting it, getting your message hyper-clear so that uh, people know exactly what they're getting when they pick up the phone and call you. You mentioned rates. Let's talk about that for a second. Uh, what is standard? What are you seeing people actually getting these days? What should someone expect if they're listening to this interview and they want to do this? Can they make $5,000 a speech if, they're, if they've got the stuff, if they've got the goods? Talk to me about rates yeah. a little bit, Cam. Sure, sure. So there's, there seem to be three hang-up points that I've seen in my career uh, for, for speakers. So number one is going from that free gigs to X amount of dollars, right? You're going from, I'm talking to the local chamber of commerce for $0, you know, to all of a sudden I start asking them for 500 bucks or gas money or something like that. Once you do that, that first off feels very empowering, you know, when you can start to uh, ask, ask for money, but then you will now what, you know, there's no real gauge or rate. And especially in a very hot topics kind of area, things like uh, mental health is very, very popular right now, or, or, you know, all leadership sales kind of training that seems to be like it's a dime a dozen, but you know, the, the earlier you can start getting comfortable with raising your rates on a regular basis, whether it's on a timely basis every six months or whether it's on a per gig basis. I know lots of speakers who started just saying every new gig I get, I'm charging $500 more, right? That's, that, that's kind of the middle run. So you go from free and then from 500 to 10,000. Then all of a sudden there's another hang up point. I know lots of speakers who get hung up in that 5,000 to $9,000 range. They, they can't seem to break out of that. And that's a lot of, conference. So I, I don't know too many speakers who are going for $10,000 plus. We don't have a speaker reel. We don't have like this extra content. We don't have a good website. Uh, it seems to be at that level. That's when you are seriously a speaker because, Hey, all of a sudden, you know, if you're getting $10,000 a gig and you're doing one gig per month, $120,000 a year, all of a sudden starts to look pretty attractive for what could possibly be a side gig, right? A side project. So that starts to look really like, are you, are you becoming a speaker? Is this, are you serious about this or is this just a side hobby? So that's when I start to see the mental shift with people trying to treat this like a business or just like a, a side gig too. So 100% absolutely. If you're just starting off as a speaker, you got to ask for money. You got to break through that going from free gigs to thousand bucks, $2,000. And as soon as you do, that starts to make you feel like this is a, you know, this is something real. This could turn into something real. And how important, Oh, I, I want to tell you this little story first, Cam. I have a friend who is a fairly accomplished speaker. He charges the 12,500, I think is his standard, but he doesn't try. I, I lied actually, Cam. I lied. He charges zero to speak, zero to speak. He charges $12,500 to get on an airplane. Got it. Yeah. And, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And he, he'll speak in town for free. He's from Orlando. He'll do anything in Orlando for free. If he gets on a plane, except for, I'm, I, let me take that again. I lied again. God, Cam, you're bringing out all the lies in me. If it's a local convention in Orlando, like the uh, Orlando Chamber of Commerce, he'll do that for free. If it's a convention that comes to Orlando, you know, for the weekend, he's going to charge sure. them um, because that's an out-of-town gig, in effect. They would have flown him in from out of town to do that gig and otherwise. But anyway... He just, that's sort of his joke. I'll, I'll do it for free, but I, I I'm going to fly for free, you know? And then people will you drive to Tampa for me. He's like, no, I'm not driving to Tampa. <laughs> you know, it's only 90 minutes. I'm not going to do that. You know? So, uh, anyway, that was just my little joke. I thought I would share, uh, how important is the past gig pedigree? So if you have on your resume, 
corporate 500 brand names as your past clients, does that help get new gigs? Is that, or do they care about that? They sure do. Yeah. Uh, you should always be collecting logos and, you know, ask permission or ask forgiveness. You know, it's up to you how you you run your business. I know a lot of people who do it both ways. They get a, they get that in their contract logo usage, but a lot of big organizations have a hard time signing documents like that. So, Hey, I'm not advocating. For What's wrong way, with claiming I gave a, ch- a speech for Chick-fil-A last week. How, how, how could you get in trouble for that? See, that, that's my theory, too. I'm just saying, a lot of people say, you know, ask forgiveness, not permission, so just go for it. And, and I agree. I agree with you. That's, that's how I would uh, run, run my business. I would go speak at large organizations, and I would go put that logo on, and no one's ever called me and said, please take that logo down. Because, hey, I've worked for these people before. I took some money from them to go give a talk, and I think that's my right to be able to, uh, to do that as well. Yeah, so, I, I yeah, agree with you. Well, I think that those are fair game, 100%. 100% fair game to use those. The logos, yeah. sure. Other big, other big ones. TEDx, obviously, that's a, that's a really big one. I know a speaker. Total sidebar here. I know a speaker. His very first gig was at TEDx. He got a coach. He got he he had uh, uh, his speech reviewed multiple times, and his very first talk was at TEDx. And right away, he started asking for ten thousand dollars for speaking gigs, and he got them. He just got a podcast and a TEDx talk. So having those logos is a lot of weight. A lot of weight, and it really matters. Other um, TEDx has killed itself, though. TEDx has diluted itself so much that it has no value anymore, in my opinion. The TEDx Tampa, not Tampa, TEDx New Smyrna Beach. What the hell were they doing when they gave New Smyrna Beach a franchise? You know, so now that there's too many of them now, they've diluted the brand. It means nothing, in my opinion, anymore. What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, you know what? I, I can't disagree with you, but I think it's a it's still a great goal to to strive for because to a lot of people who aren't in the speaker world, right? If you're at a corporation and you see TEDx, that still that still has a lot of weight to it. That is South by Southwest. I think you could probably give that argument as well. South by Southwest now has uh, well, there's like South by Southwest and North by Northwest, and it's all corners of the U.S. <laughs> North by West. Northwest. That's an Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> movie. I'm pretty sure. That's it. <laughs> And so, you know, having these big logos, these recognizable things, it's all about recognition. Because, you know, to you and I, we may be aware that TEDx puts over 2,000 speakers out every single year, but to the average corporate event planner, do they know that? You know, I think that's up to every speaker to, to think really hard about how well do you know your clients? How, well, who's your target audience? Do they know about that? Um, I still think TEDx is a, is a great uh, achievement for, for many speakers. I've been asked 10 times to do a TED or TEDx and I've never said yes because of the money, you know? Um, yeah, I'm not going to pay to what fly my, to your sorry, city what, what to give a speech to you for free. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I was just, I was just saying what money, <laughs> that's the biggest complaint that a lot of speakers have. They'll go and give a talk for free. And then what comes out of it? Nothing. You know, they did a lot of work, a lot of preparation, a lot of higher, a lot of people hire coaches and, and nothing comes out of it. Well, back to, Tease New Smyrna Beach. Uh, I don't think <laughs> this is going to be real, really, really egotistical, Cam. I don't care what the trainer at New Smyrna Beach TEDx has to say. I could care less what his advice is. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I think that a lot of these the trainers who kind of bring you into TEDx, so it seems to be there's these coaches that you can hire. 
to get you on the TEDx stage. They guarantee it. They put you, they put you through an eight month, 12 month program and they put your name out to about yeah, I've had TEDx. that guy on the show before. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good people. Hey, you know, I've known a couple who put a lot of people on TEDx stages. And then there's the other route that you can go and do that yourself. But then it seems to be TED, TEDx always wants to invite certain people on. Sometimes that's the experience that you went through and uh, you kind of get what you get through that. So I've, I've known a few people to do that as well. I don't think it's a bad option. I think any experience is great. And this goes back to kind of in business. I would never say no to a stage, even if it is free. That's just me because I can then leverage that, turn that into maybe multiple gigs or use that content. It's all leverage to me. Am I allowed to go and record on it? Oh, okay, great. Then I will go and speak on your stage. I tended not to say no to too many gigs if it got me my reps. Well, you got to practice. You got to try out new stuff. I was, Cam, a, a university professor for nine years teaching 250 18-year-olds at a time. And, you know, a big room of boring 18-year-olds. And that was great training for me because I got to try out new material there all the time. And if it worked on 18-year-olds, well... You know, 25-year-olds and 35-year-olds will laugh too, you know? So um, I agree with you. I think that you should take as many gigs as possible simply for the practice. Even if it's mm -hmm. only 10 people, it's still, don't think of it as only 10 people. Think of it as I got a free or a gig where I get to practice in front of people and exactly. use them as guinea pigs on new material. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, if you look at comedians, let's think of the world of stand-up comedy for a second here. The biggest comedians, where did they start, Right. Every single one started in these tiny <laughs> basement right. comedy clubs. There's not a single one who got their Netflix special from their very first gig. So there is an attitude a little bit in the speaker world that, you know, because I've been on X stage, therefore I don't deserve, you know, I only deserve 10, 20, $30,000 gigs or more. And I mean, I, that's not the route I would take. I would take every opportunity. I mean, musicians as well, right? What's the story around the Beatles? They did, thousands of gigs uh, for free or in these little tiny clubs before they got big. Same thing with that. And I think that we need to treat, we treat ourselves like entertainers uh, rather than, uh, rather than anything else. How do you get in touch with the people making decisions? So once you have your speaker reel, what do the hell you do with it? Well, uh, there's many different ways and cold calling is probably my favorite way of doing it. I know not everyone's a you know, fan of cold calling. Uh, so maybe I'll cold I'll call who? You go on LinkedIn, you go and search the people's names and you start emailing. You can find them on corporate directories. That's, that's the easiest way uh, to, to find people. But, but also go to the place where your target audience is. You know, if you speak to tech organizations with over 50,000 people, well, where do they cluster? Where do they hang out? They're probably going to collision conference. They're probably going to CES. Go there, go meet with people, go talk to people and network. If, if you're a, if you're a more, much more of an in-person uh, kind of person. Uh, me, on the other hand, when I was doing uh, uh, speak, taking speaking gigs, I would go on LinkedIn, go and look at corporate directories, just connect with people on LinkedIn and say, hey, I'm Cam, I'm a speaker. You're looking for somebody. Can we have a coffee? Can we have a conversation? And yeah, one, it only worked one time out of 10, but man, that is what you need to do. It is a sales job or a sales thing like everything else. Uh, about one out of every 10 girls that I asked out said yes too, Cam. And you know what? I ended up married twice that way. So. So it works. What you're trying to say is it works. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to get well, as entrepreneurs. Hell, I hope for one out of a hundred. Yeses. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what it turns into. I think if we get into these daily habits of I'm going to send 10 emails or do 10 outreaches, or I like to, I like to use video in my outreach. And I encourage speakers again, talking about the reps, 
getting in front of a camera and recording yourself and sending that out to people, that works. It works really, really well. So doing a quick video message to a, a direct, only director and above. That's one thing. Directors and above at large organizations have the budget. You know, you're not, don't waste your time on team leaders or managers. That's one tip I can give everyone. Reach out to the directors and above and say, hey, I'm a speaker on mental health and wellness. I know very well that the tech industry is experiencing burnout right now more than ever before. I would love to have a conversation with you to chat about uh, ways that we could work together and I could give a talk to your team. Maybe we could save a couple of people from burnout this year. What do you think? You know, like starting conversations, like let's be friendly. Let's learn how to talk to people like that. Very good advice. Cam, great stuff. I love it. And I'm, uh, I'm kind of bummed that speaker videos are only two minutes now. Cause I think mine is six minutes. Oh. Well, what are we going to do about that? Well, I also, I, I introduced three topics in that six minutes. And so Got you it. said I should make three videos now. So then if I did that, it would be three videos at two minutes each. And then I would satisfy you. So, Ooh, one more question. What about all of these, uh, people who will get gigs for you? I got a woman called me the other day, $6,000 for three months, but she didn't want a cut of my, of, uh, of the income. And I'm used to agents like that taking a cut of the income. Her model's a little different, 2000 a month. I thought that was a little high. What are your thoughts on those people and their ability to actually get gigs? Well, I would want to interview them like any other service that I'm speaking to, right? A typical uh, speaker bureau is going to take somewhere between 20 to 30% of your cut. So you need to make a choice. Are you going to raise your rate or just accept taking less for that? I would recommend raising your rate, you know? That's going to be my default all the time. Raise your rate. You know, if you're so good, raise your rate or get better. Then raise your rate. You know, that's that's a really typical thing. Six thousand dollars. Well, you know, are they guaranteeing you a certain amount of talks? What what are the caliber? Who have they uh, placed before? What types of gigs have they placed people on before? You know, anyone who's going to work for you like that, you got to just interview them like anyone else, and hopefully they have like a trial, uh, a, a trial, uh, a service. Let's see if we can get you on six stages in the next three months. Because all of a sudden, that's not a bad deal. You know, if you're getting um, six gigs at $5,000 a piece, that becomes $30,000. Well, 6,000 bucks is 20% anyway. So, you know, it's no big deal, right? Like, you know, it, it all sounds like it's a wash in the end, but uh, independence, you're just hiring a salesperson for, for you. And I, a lot of speakers I know don't like to do sales. <laughs> and that's, if you're not willing to do sales, then hiring somebody else to do that for you is a, is a perfectly good solution. Uh, I think if they get you at the stages that you want, go for it. Well, I didn't hire her because I gave her two or three chances and her feet, her follow-up was not good. And then finally I said, let's get together and have lunch. And she said, no, because she has a kid and has to take care of the kid. Well, I have four kids, Cam, and I many, 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 many days have had to work and take care of the kids. And many, 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 many times I have taken my kids to a business lunch and made them sit there and be polite. And many, 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 many times I closed the deal because the kids are so damn polite, it reflects well on me, and they end up liking me because the kids are so good. And the fact that this woman wouldn't go to lunch with me because of her excuse that I have a kid, well, I didn't hire her. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I'm like you, you know, I can't wait for the first, uh, bring your kids to work day because all those video sales messages that I told you I send, like that's part of my outreach to go and find speakers, find clients. 
I can't wait to have him sitting there next to me or maybe even doing a couple of outreaches. Hi, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I'm Ken Sud. I, you, you know, you should call my dad to go and get a seat. That's what it's all about. Like, how do we start to incorporate and bring, bring the rest of our family into, into business? I mean, that to me is what business is all about. Hey, my mom ran her business. She was a, a seamstress out of our basement. And I can remember going to trade shows with her, looking at fabric. And it was the most, it was, I, I think the only thing more interesting, uh, less interesting than that would be uh, watching grass grow or paint dry. But I still went. And yeah, she told me later on that she won deals. She won gigs based on, based on us. So me and my brother being there. So bring your, bring your family. <laughs> Don't be shy. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I, I'll tell you one more story and then we need to go to, yeah, I was giving a gig in Los Angeles, and so I took the two kids to go to Disney World Land, Disneyland. And so we did Disneyland, and then we went to the hotel, and where the speaking gig was the next day, it was for UPS, and it was a big deal for UPS. They had the CEO was there, and Secretary of Commerce Guterres was there from the Bush administration, and it was a big deal, five thousand people, and cool. uh. I was kind of in the lobby of the hotel and I saw the CEO of UPS. So I went over to say hello and introduce my kids and everything. And we started chit chatting for a few minutes. And then my daughter, Anna, who was probably seven at the time, she's goes, daddy, I'm confused. Is this the guy that works for you or do you work for him? You know, who works for who here? <laughs> I was like, honey, he's the UPS CEO. He, no one is his boss. He works for God only. And so, uh, he liked the kids as well. So, um, that's great. But, but you're, what you're saying, you know, what I hear from that is that's, that's a memorable moment, right? I, in my twenties, I used to sell jewelry and, uh, uh, I heard a story back then of, of someone I used to work with, they broke their arm and they said the best time they ever made sales was when they broke their arm. Cause everyone remembered the jewelry salesperson with the broken arm. Well, yep. I bet you that you, the UPS CEO remembered you, right? Like if nothing else, it was just a memory. Oh, that's the speaker with the kids, right? And it's about being memorable. I think that's, that's like a lesson of entrepreneurship and in life, right? Yes. Just, if you can be memorable, being memorable is sometimes more important than having the best talk, the most polished look, uh, anything like that. If you can just be remembered, uh, you, you know, I'm sure that guy's got a lot of things on his mind. When he goes back to his office on the Monday following after, you know, the, the Friday night wind down and the weekend, <laughs> you know, everything hanging out, he's showing up on Monday morning and be like, I talked to a lot of speakers. I don't remember anyone's name. Who is that guy with the kids? Let's get him in. Let me talk to him again. Like, just be memorable. Just be memorable. I think in business, that's that's more important. Yep. Well, you know, I speak. I live in Atlanta, and I speak in Atlanta a lot. And mm -hmm. I always wear a black leather jacket. It's a not a. It's not a biker jacket. It's a formal jacket. It just happened to be made out of black leather. I used to own the company that made that jacket and such. And I am known as the black leather jacket guy. Everyone knows that about me. I always, and if I don't wear it, people are like, where's your jacket? <laughs> Cam, how do we find out more? Follow you online. Get in touch. You want to find me? The best place is to find me is on LinkedIn. You can just look up my name, Cam Baudouin. You can also look up The Frequent Speaker, both on LinkedIn or on my website, thefrequentspeaker.com. Best place to find me. Fantastic. Cam, great information. Thank you so much for being with us. Really appreciate it. And we will be right back. We are back. And again, thank you so very much for being with us today. Very excited to introduce another amazing guest. 
please welcome Diana Spruill to the show. Absolutely fascinating story. I'm excited to share it with you. She had everything, the condo in the sky with the lake view in Chicago and the kids and the husband and a good job and everything. And then she realized she wasn't exactly happy. There was something missing in her life. Some of her lifelong dreams had not been fulfilled. That led her to a study of all sorts of things, gratitude and spirituality. And she's come out on the other side now, and I'm excited to talk about that journey. She is with uh, one of the larger PR agencies that I work with, an incredible agency that she and her husband uh, work together at. It's called Bear Icebox, and they are one of my great partners. They send me lots of great guests. If you need a publicist, I would certainly consider them. Diana, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm very good. Thank you for that. Um, great introduction. Well, you deserve it's, it. It's a cool story. Uh, and we'll get into it in just a minute. Congratulations on the article in Entrepreneur Magazine. That's really cool. Thanks so much. You know, I really enjoy writing these pieces because I have all these thoughts and sometimes they come to me really randomly. And the, the Sagan piece, I was finishing up the book um, full stop at the time I wrote it. I still had like 22 pages left. Um, but I got to that point in reading his book and all the things that we've gone through in the past couple of years with the business growing and then kind of being stagnant for a while and then growing a little bit more, I just couldn't help myself. Like he, he's talking about bigger, broader, more scientific things. But when I read what he had to say about statistics and just the, the general laws of probability, I immediately took that to heart as a business owner, because I think we don't assume that that's what's happening sometimes that yes, you're going to have some highs. You're going to have some lows. That is normal. That's actually to be expected. Um, as he put it. Well, let's tell everyone a little bit about the article. It's called what Carl Sagan teaches entrepreneurs about chance and how to handle cold streaks in mm -hmm. business. And we've all had a good cold streak or a bad cold streak <laughs> where no one's returning our calls and, uh, we're not yep. selling anything, and it is super scary. For those of you who don't know, Carl Sagan is the famous physics astrologer, mm -hmm. uh, um, science teacher, star of the Cosmos TV series, the guy with the really big nose, and his most famous line was, billions and billions of stars, and everyone used to make fun of him for that. Unfortunately, he passed away uh 15 or 20 years ago, way too early. He was mm -hmm. young when he died. And he wrote some great books too, including one of my favorite movies, the Jodie Foster movie, Contact, where we talk to aliens for the first time. Uh, one of my favorite movies cool. and one of the best books. Anyway, that's who Carl Sagan is, and that's setting up the article. And I just got to tell Deanna, excuse me for one second, as I sure. digress and talk about Entrepreneur Magazine. Uh, <laughs> I, as I... If I could get an article in Entrepreneur, I would. I want to say that. I'm jealous of you, Deanna. You're cooler than I am. I got sued by Entrepreneur Magazine, and this is. I just want to let everyone know this. They own the trademark. Uh, EMI, their parent company, owns the trademark for the word entrepreneur. Uh, entrepreneur is a 400-year-old French word. It's like having a trademark on the word salt or air. You know, how did they get that? There was actually a movie made about it called Trademark Wars that I was in. I was interviewed for this movie, and it talks about how Entrepreneur Magazine 
quasi-illegally acquired the trademark for the word entrepreneur, and they will go out there and sue you or send you a cease and desist for using the word entrepreneur in your name. Like if you call a business the Entrepreneur School, they will sue you. Or that other podcast, uh, John Lee Dumas, Entrepreneur on Fire. I don't know if you noticed that he changed the name of his show to EO Fire. That's because he got a cease and desist from Entrepreneur Magazine. Um, anyway, I'm off my soapbox now, Deanna. Again, if I was lucky enough to be published there, I would take it in a heartbeat. So now I'm off my you diatribe, know. but I'm sorry for that, Deanna. Hey, look, it's it's all good. Actually, that's really good information to know for anyone who didn't know that you could get sued for that. So Yes. Don't use the word entrepreneur in the name of your business. That's That's it. That's why this is school for startups. I had a business called the Entrepreneur School. And then we changed it to school for startups because of this. Back to you and your article. So what does Carl Sagan say about cold streaks in business? What do the laws of probability teach us about me not selling anything this month? Yeah, you know, it's really simple, actually. It's think of it less of the things that you are either doing right or wrong. Those those do come into play. Don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong on that. But in these moments where you're hitting, you know, everything's landing, you're just excited and everything's going your way. And then, then things don't go your way. There's, there's so many things that can play into that. But if you take away all the external factors, disasters, world pandemics, blah, blah, blah. And you just strip it down to the flipping of a coin. That's the example that he used. If you flip the coin 50 times and you don't have a streak of either heads, 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 tails, tails, if you don't see that, then that's more bizarre than it would be to have a full year of everything going your way. Likewise, things not going your way, that would also be bizarre. But we tend to, as, as entrepreneurs, I can speak for myself. When those cold streaks hit, you take it harder on yourself. You think, oh man, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. How can I make this better? What did I do wrong? That's, that's just typically how we process it. When things are going good, we never question, wow, this is so great. What are we doing that's so great? Although you should be doing that. But when things are just feeling good and you're winning and you're that good luck streak, you don't take a, the moment to sit back and think, hey, you know, what, what am I doing? wrong here and i think that's really kind of what i wanted to get at in the article is when you hit those cold streaks think less of it as what are you doing wrong and just accept the fact that you're gonna hit a cold patch that's going to happen in business in life and you have to be able to process that in a way where you can just get back up on your feet and just keep going you have to keep flipping the coin if you have a bad streak of luck now i did also want to say this okay because using these terms these ideas doesn't always apply in everywhere in life okay sometimes you gotta stop talking specifically about gambling but that's different <laughs> um, yes <laughs> but in business at least you know you know if you hit a cold patch and you just feel like nothing's working and you stop then that's the end of the road for you you have to continue flipping the, the, the tide will turn for you. And that's just the way that the loss of probability 
are going to work in your favor. It's a long game. It's this isn't, you know, you flip it a few times and you try a couple things and oh, well, well, it didn't work. Well, it's not going to work if you don't put in the work. And part of putting in the work is to keep pushing, keep going and, and not giving up on that. Do we know any, do we need to make any changes? Does the article tell us to change or do we keep doing the same flip, the same oh, technique? Do we need no. to do something different if we've got head, 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 head? You know, do I flip with the other know, hand? Flip with the other hand. <laughs> flip it behind your back. I don't know. Uh, you, you definitely don't want to do the same thing over and over again. I think the definition of that is what? Insanity? Yep, insanity, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we, 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 there's a fine line between trying and putting your best foot forward all the time versus trying different options and seeing what can happen for you if you go this way, go that way. Um, and not to plug my other article, but my most recent entrepreneur article is more plug about away. synchronicity. <laughs> There's nothing wrong. That's what I, we're here for to plug stuff. Yeah. I, I, I wrote the second piece and I, I really love that. And then I got the spark from an idea um, to write about, you know, synchronicity and things that just kind of happen these, these coincidences, we, we think they're coincidences, but in reality, you know, is it something more? Is there something? Is it manifesting? Do you believe in that? I, I do. It's a, it's a little bit of a touchy subject for me because I tend to, I believe in it, but I feel like I, I tend to manifest things I don't want. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't, I, I just was in New York. Um, I got back last night, actually. And the day I flew out, well, the night before, I said to my husband, you know what? I really hope I don't scratch my eye. Long story short, I apparently am prone to scratching my cornea, which is not fun. With it's what? Your finger or your sunglasses in, or uh, a doorknob or sleep, what? In my sleep, apparently. Oh. I'm just a, mani- a maniac. Wow. Do you, and I uh, you rub your that, eyes in your sleep? I must rub them pretty aggressively yeah. to, to scratch it. Um, I think it's so your I husband said, doing it. I think it's Bob. Oh, I'm going to put up a camera then. <laughs> We're going to have to put, put a night camera up. But I said that. And I said, I better not scratch my eye before I fly out. And when I'm telling you the truth, I woke up the morning of my flight and my eye was swollen shut. And I couldn't believe it. So... I need to figure out how to manifest things in a new one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you're doing the same things over and over again and you're getting the same results, that, that, is, that is really nature's way of kind of telling you switch it up a little bit. Yep. Try something else. What if you did it Don't, divinely? Oh, you always do, do everything divinely. All right. I'm only using your tagline now. Yeah. Teach me the tagline. What does do it that. divinely mean? Is that gratitude? I know gratitude's a huge part of what you talk about as well. Yeah. Teach me um, what divinely, do it divinely means. Do it divinely is, it's really, it's a mindset. And I came to this after many, many years of trying to do the right thing, you know, but I wasn't doing it divinely. I wasn't doing it with the right intention. I wasn't doing it because I believed in it. I didn't do it because, um, for me. And once I discovered that my own divinity within 
myself, my strengths, my quirks and my characteristics and all those little fun things have to kind of be front and center. It, I think of it like this. There's a lot of, you know, parents out there. They'll say, oh, I'm a mom of two or I have a boy and I have a daughter. I'm a mom. I'm a mom. Well, what kind of mother are you? Because you could be an absent mother. You can be a very mean, strict mother. You cannot show affection. What kind of mother are you? Are you, are you mothering divinely with your children? Do you care about their feelings? Do you ask them how they're feeling? Do you show affection? Like, really, what, what does it mean when, when we say any of the things that we are? Oh, I'm a wife and a mother. Well, what kind of wife are you? Do you nag your husband all day? Do you, do you not put in any effort? Like, what, there, there, there's more to these labels we give ourselves. But when I came up with the concept of doing it divinely, it's really thinking about how you are using your best skills, your best talents, your God-given talents, if you will, to help other people achieve their best. I think that's just what this whole world and this whole purpose of our lives. And I don't want to go too, too deep on this, but I just think our purpose in life is to help other people find their purpose in life. And then they help someone else find their purpose in life. And we just keep going and going and going. And it's just this continuous circle of being there. The, the true sense of humanity is not just me achieving my dreams. It's all about me, my goals, what I want to do. Because along the way, you're going to meet people. And, and you never know who, whose life you can impact. But if you think in a divine way that every single person you encounter is someone who is another divine creature, another divine being, another, you know, human, like just human being, that you can actually help even if you don't know it at the moment, you might not even realize that that word that you said to the cashier, the nice compliment you gave to the man sitting on the bench or smiling at a, a kid who maybe doesn't get love at home. You don't know those small things that we do every day can have an impact. And so if you are intentional about that and you go out into the world and look at every person who you you cross paths with and imagine them being just as divine, just as special and just as amazing and hopeful and just beautiful as, as yourself, then that's what, that's what makes the world go, go around. But see, it starts with us. If you don't believe that you are special, worthy, beautiful, valuable, then, then it doesn't go anywhere. So doing it divinely really comes down to identifying that part of you but being willing and able to, to share it, but also embrace it with everyone else. What do we do if we don't feel special? Like you just said, we don't feel like we are all of the adjectives that you just used. We're miserable. We we're not, we're not, you know, or we're still living in our parents' basement and Mm -hmm. don't have a clue what we want to do. I I don't know. I mean, I, let me tell you the, it, it, this is a really good question. And honestly, I, I love this question because it's not as difficult as it could be. There's a lot of self-help 
books and talks and everything out there, but I believe it actually comes down to that quiet space, that quiet, the quietness, the, not, not silence. We can't silence everything, but it's the, the quiet space that is within all of us. And you can get there via meditation, which I'm huge on that as well. And, and not just meditation, since where you just kind of sit and, you know, it, it's difficult for a lot of people to add that to their lives. I actually talk a little bit about meditating throughout the day, all day, any day, anytime. But coming to this place where you can cut out the noise of other people who have told us things over and over and over again. And I personally dealt with, with a lot of it, you know, a lot of things that were told to me as a you know, you know, young woman coming up, you know, there's not a lot of women in this space. There's not a lot of women here. Are you sure you're going to be able to do that? And for, for years, that was something I had to unlearn where there's no limits. Might be a little bit more difficult. Might take a little bit more work. But that, that limiting thought telling me that I couldn't do certain things, that I wasn't good enough. I wasn't unique or pretty enough for any of those kinds of things that we all hear. And I think for women, we, we tend to have, have it a little bit harder um, just in terms of how we are perceived in society, especially once you throw the whole motherhood thing in there. Um, but for someone who feels like they are not good enough, I would strongly recommend paying attention to what you're consuming. We're not just talking about food, although we could talk about some things that we might consume, like alcohol and certain things that might contribute to some of these depressive thoughts and lack of motivation and all of that. But I'm talking everything that we consume. Social media. Social media, movies, music, some lyrics. Like I, I'm really big on lyrics. Um, they're some of my favorite songs I used to listen to when I was a kid. and. Now that I'm an adult, I hear it and I'm like, oh, wait, what are, what are we saying? Um, I don't think I should hear that on a regular basis. And again, it's, it's coming back down to the, the, the every, everything about us. Because when, when I talk about things that we hear about ourselves, I'm not talking about the strict parent that told you you need to go to school and become a doctor. I'm talking about everything in the media, movies, books. Social media is the, the worst one, although I know we all use it and we will use it, especially to promote this. But whatever you're consuming that's making you feel inadequate or not good enough or that you, oh, you didn't do this yet. You haven't gotten married yet. You don't have kids yet. Wow. Oh, you don't have your full education. Whoa. These are all things that we hear from every angle, every aspect, everywhere you look, billboards. I'm talking everywhere you look. Pay attention to that. Look at the things that you are watching, that you're listening to, that you see, and, and start to evaluate how much of it is making you feel horrible. Horrible. Not just like, oh, I really want to dream. And I, like, I follow a couple um, vacation accounts on Instagram. And yeah, there's times where I'm like, wow, I either feel really inspired, like, all right, cool, that's going to be the next spot. 
or you start feeling like I'll never get there. Like, how does this happen? And oh, I'm not there yet. Those are all feelings that contribute to not being a good enough person, a good enough spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, mother, husband, whatever you are calling yourselves. Those are feelings that are not coming from within. They are coming from external sources. We need to pay attention to our external sources and how they're affecting us every day. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Tell us a little bit, a little bit about Bear Icebox and the type of work you do there. Oh yeah, uh, you know Bear Icebox is a very it, it's it's been very life changing um, for for me and Bob, my husband. Uh, we primarily work with like B two B brands and total communication. Um, what what we found is that yes, PR is great. Everyone wants PR. Blah 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 blah. PR is great, but none of it actually works, or at least does what some clients want them to do, want it to do. Um, if your full organization is not ready, if you're not prepped. Um, and that, that comes down to internal communications. How are you speaking to your team? Is your sales team out there saying something different than your executive team? Are the marketing people even aware of what the hands-on people are doing? When you go to a trade show, like who's, who's speaking? What are they talking about? Where is this information going? Okay, you have a great spot. You got a front page on XYZ publication. Great. What did you do with it afterwards? Oh, we just sat there. Oh, you posted about it on LinkedIn. Great. Do you have a do you have a newsletter? Does your audience know any of this stuff? And and so when we think of public relations, it's it's a, it's becoming a lot more broad, and it, it has to be. The industry is changing so much, and you know, not that we are looking to play catch up at all. I think it's about staying ahead of the game. And right now, the media itself has changed in the last, what, seven days. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of layoffs and jobs being eliminated. What's that going to look like in the next three to five years, five to 10 years? Um, and it really comes down to what organizations actually understand about their communications departments. And that, like I just said, it's, it's, it's all parts, all of the moving parts of your organization have to be considered when you're doing a media campaign or any sort of PR push. Um, so it doesn't just stop with a press release or, you know, you have this thing going on. I, I spoke to someone a couple of weeks ago and about doing a release for an event. And I said, well, why would, why would somebody want to cover your event? Very, very in a nicer way. I didn't say it quite that blunt, but I, I wanted to there understand. There's nothing like, wrong what, with that. That's a fair question. You know, we we have to say things in a nice way. Um, but so no, I, I was, well, they just said, well, we want more people to attend. So my next question was, well, why would they want to attend your event? Like what, what's in it for them? I mean, I know we're busy people. I'm a busy person. You probably are too. But if you're going to an event, you're probably going for a reason. Maybe you want to make connections. Maybe there's somebody there you want to talk to. Uh, maybe you see an opportunity. Uh, is this going to further you along in your, like, like why would someone want to attend your event? Because putting out a press release for it, um, yeah, good luck with that. 
you know, this, the industry and, and the people are changing. Like most of us want to get out now. We don't have to attend every single event to get what we want. That's just not even how it works all the time. So there has to be more to the story, especially if you want media coverage. What are they covering? You have an event. Guess what? There's 50,000 events going on right now. <laughs> Yours is nothing special. So we definitely want to find those special moments um, for all of our clients. And again, making sure that everyone understands what that special moment is within the organization. Because what's special to one person isn't as important, unique, or interesting to the next. So if you guys aren't on the same page, what, what, what page of the media do you think you're going to be in? You know? Yep. Great advice. Deanna, we're running out of time really, really fast. Give us a final yeah. word, please. What did we not talk about that you want to throw out? Oh, gosh. What did we not talk about? Well, you know, if, you, if you would like. a minute on meditation? One minute? Oh, yeah. We can we're, talk we're about that. We're out of time. Seriously. 30 seconds now. Okay. 30 seconds. Ah. Uh, you know, if you want to meditate and you want to start really simply, you can actually do it while you eat. That's one of my favorite times to meditate. Um, it's really simple. Every bite that you take, taste the flavors. Try to see if you can identify what you're eating, what, what, what spices are in there. Take a breath as you eat. Don't choke. Um, and, and feel it going down. Just every moment of your eating. That can become a med meditative uh, moment for you. If you are looking to just get started, really simply, we all eat every day, so you don't have an excuse. Um, that that's one of my favorite ways to, to meditate. Sounds like it would slow you down too. Maybe you lose a little weight cause you're not eating as fast. You know what? I didn't think of that, but you bring up a really good point. <laughs> I've heard a lot of studies that say that you're hungry for a certain number of bites in a certain number of minutes. And if you slow it down, you'll still be hungry because you satisfied the number of minutes that you were eating. Um, look at that. And so, so it's a win-win. I, I do think it is a win-win. How do we get in touch, find out more, and read your articles on Entrepreneur Magazine? <laughs> your favorite. Um, you know, you can always contact us at bareicebox.com. Um, if you want to know about my more personal things, um, that's deannaletitia.com for all of those fun And we will tips. have the links on the webpage. Deanna, awesome. thank you so much for all the great clients you send, you and Bob, and appreciate what you're doing. And... If I had a B2B, I would hire Bear Icebox in a second because I love your philosophy. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. We're out of time, but you know we come back real soon. So be safe, everyone. Take care and go make a million dollars. Bye now. <laughs> Bye.